When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is the Crash MotoGP podcast, episode 18. After a long absence, MotoGP returned to Silverstone for the British Grand Prix. And as usual, provided us with action up and down the classes. Welcome along to the show. Always a pleasure to have you alongside us. My name is Harry Benjamin. Keith Hewin and Pete McLaren are ready and waiting to dive into everything. So uh, let's go straight into the race, shall we, gents? MotoGP. Uh, it was pole for pole of the Aspargro variety, a first. Poll for him on the, the Honda and a proud moment as well for the Aspargro family early doors with Aleish on the Aprilia getting up behind him in second in the opening stages of the race. Further back though, Carnage followed with Mark Marquez and Jorge Martin sliding out and may I just add in that they were both on my podium prediction list so I was absolutely fuming uh, but it was Fabio Quartararo who came through to take yet another win and extend his championship lead. Despite a lot of riders and teams, Keith, uh, showing some good improved pace actually this weekend, still nobody could truly match Quartararo once again. Hello, boys. Hello, everyone. Yeah, it was uh, one of those days, wasn't it? Quartararo. I think everybody got Quartararo right for the win, which is amazing, yeah. really. Um, I mean, the, with MotoGP, as in any racing sport, the, the fact of the matter is, is that the weather makes a difference. And Northamptonshire kept that kind of cloud over the top of the, the circuit. It never really got to the temperatures we were expecting this weekend. Michelin predicted that race day would be five degrees warmer than it was in qualifying. I think Paul Espargro, um, as you mentioned, uh, pole position for him, brilliant, brilliant. Because he was, last year, I could see him getting on with that Honda. When he went to Honda, it was a big deal for him to go alongside Marquez, uh, whatever happens. And and I thought he would would ride it well. I thought his aggressive style would keep the front end nice and warm and he would, you know, he would make it work for him. But he hasn't been able to. And strangely enough, he actually preferred the cooler weather at, at um, Silverstone. He quite liked the way that the, the bike worked in the, the cooler temperatures, made it work, put it on pole. Wasn't quite able to make it work for him during the race, of course, but um, the big deal there was his brother. Only his second premier class podium, I think, in getting on for seven years, something like that, and Aprilia's in God knows how long, um, since we go back to the Jeremy McWilliam days, I think, in, you know, Northern Irishman. And, I mean, good for both of them. Really, really emotive when you see that kind of thing happen. Um Alessio Spargro, I mean, he said he was a top three rider prior to the event. I mean, that's a big old statement he made coming into the event. That he was a, a top three man. Um, 
as in considering himself in in the great scheme of things. And there he goes and bloody backs it up with a top three uh, on a bike that's still not that much fancied. But uh, imagine what that did for Maverick Vinales's morale, wherever he was watching it from. I mean, he'd have been jumping up and down and drinking beer, I would have thought, um, with the fact that the Aprilia performed as well as it did. And the thing looked so stable at Silverstone. I mean, Silverstone... Got to say, it worked well, didn't it, the Aprilia? I mean, that, that was stunningly good. It looked stable everywhere. I mean, impressive. But Cotteraro took his time, very mature, no one to beat him at all. Other end of the grid, you know, other end of the pace, Jake Dixon running really, really well. I mean, when they said he was going to ride there, no test, no nothing, straight in, deep in, free practice one. Luckily, the weather conditions were consistent, so he got a good go at it. And he proved again, he's a big bike rider. He can ride a big bike. He looked good on it straight away. He looked like it was him and the M1, even though it's the older M1. Um, it worked well for him. Um, tire issues, I'm sure that the three of us are going to talk about tire issues. There were a lot of tire issues this weekend um, with riders not able to kind of get the Michelins to work quite so well at the back end. I mean, Valentino Rossi. Slips to, what, 21st in the championship now with a, a pretty poor old ride at um, Silverstone, his final ride there ever. Um, Bangnaya is the biggest disappointment. I mean, I, you talk about people on our hit list that the, the three of us were predicting to be up there. I think Bangnaya was one of mine, and uh, tyre just didn't work for him at all. He just slipped down the order. Uh, we heard Jack Miller complaining about the tyre in qualifying. Uh, so somewhere, Michelin, have um, they've been quite, I think, What's the word I'm looking for? Defensive slightly uh, in the most political of ways to try and keep this rumour, this this unhappiness at bay. But there are more top-line riders complaining about the tyres this weekend than I think I've ever heard since Michelin have been involved in in bike racing in recent times. So we'll see how that one rolls out during the course of the week. Being that we're recording this on Monday, probably on Tuesday, they'll tell us why the problem was. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> you get more information. <laughs> we, think we can never get it right, can we? But so far, there's been no huge... Actually, no, I'm not going to say that because it's going to jinx it. So I'm not. I'm just going to ignore that. Uh, but let's, uh, let's take it back uh, to the start because that um, first lap uh, wasn't without incident either. And we've had lots of questions come in, in particular, um, on this. So I thought we should uh, answer this straight away. On the Mark Marquez and Jorge Martin incident, uh, literally everybody is asking, uh, MotoGP Classic Results ask, can Mark Marquez's early race move be labelled as desperate? Uh, what are your thoughts on Mark Marquez's antics on tracks, uh, on the track? Uh, how can Marquez keep using his injuries and excuse when he's riding like this in the early stages of races pete i know you actually watched a couple you've watched the replay of it a couple of times what were your first thoughts on it when you saw it unfold yeah it's interesting wasn't it there was the the move at the end of hangar straight martin went inside and from the initial camera angle it looked like quite a quite a harsh move and then you you see it from different angles and, and marquez was wide so there was a legitimate you know reason for martin to go inside there and i think it was just a, a hard but fair racing move but as you saw, whenever you see then the rider that's just been bumped attacking a few corners later, you naturally think, oh, you know, is this red mist coming into play? Now, what happened? Martin went wide into the Vale chicane. Marquez sort of set it up for the exit. Now, again, fair enough. There was a, there was a gap there. We know Marquez is going to go for the gap. Where there's a bit of controversy is that when Marquez sort of got alongside, Martin, he himself said, you know, I think Mark could have could have just held his line and, and he felt that Mark sort of drifted out into him. And that was what sort of caused the, the, the contact that brought them both down. And there were a few former riders that sort of thought, yeah, I think Mark would have known that there was going to be some contact there. 
Leopard don't change his spots, Pete. That's a fact. And if you're going to poke him with a stick, then you can expect him to bite back. And that's exactly – Mark Marquez is genetically aggressive. You know, there's we've all come across riders like this in our careers over over many, many – everybody has. doesn't matter what decade you come from. The fact is, is there's always a rider in your fraternity, in your group, that is going to be more aggressive than other riders. You're going to – if you're going to rub shoulders with him, you know he's going to show you a wheel. You know he's going to pick you up and onto the curb or whatever it might be. And Mark has got that 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 in his genetics. He's a fighter. He really, really is. Um, the 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 thing for me was there was the gap. He went for it. He made a mistake. It wasn't really there. And I think that that's really where Mark is at at the moment. He's fast, but he's not like he was. Um, and I think that that shows even in some of his passing situations. Um, but the fact for me is is that not only did he go to the team and apologise, absolutely the gentleman, correct thing to do. He, pub- he publicly apologised on social media as well, which means that he he knew and admits and 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 knows he's at fault. So therefore, he's done the decent thing. But where's the penalty? Where's where, you know what's what's where's this consistency that we keep going on about every single week? Where's the where was the announcement after the event? And as far as I'm aware, and I've checked all the sheets and checked all the data, there isn't anything that I can see that says anything about Mark Marquez getting a penalty for the next round. You know. It was irresponsible riding. He caused he caused an accident. He readily admits it was his fault, his mistake, his his misjudgment, I think is the word he used. So therefore it is an irresponsible act. It is an irresponsible it's it's written in the rules. You can't do it. Um, you know, if you go back to twenty fifteen when he and Valentino Rossi came together, Rossi copped the penalty for for taking him out wide, you know, rah, 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 rah. So I mean, there are many, many instances of this type of incident, and I still don't understand why there isn't a consistent line regarding this. You know, it's not be- I, I, before everybody trolls the hell out of internet about it being a Spanish championship, and he's a Spaniard, so Dorna don't do him, and all the rest of it. I, I don't, I don't count any of that, and I don't believe that's the truth. I just think the system is not consistent, and I don't understand why that is in our very professional sport, everything else is very well catered for technically, and yet we have this this room for flexibility in something that should be inflexible. Um, even if they retrospectively, and they've done it many times, um, put a penalty up um, for the incident, particularly after Mark admitted it yesterday. It wasn't like he admitted it today. He did it you know, just an hour or two after the, the fact. Um, you, know, they, you, know, you would have thought that somebody somewhere would have gone, yeah, okay, we'll give him we'll give him a bloody ride through next time. You know, something. Yeah, but nothing. <laughs> unless unless again Well, he would have at least a ride through. Uh, 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 sorry, a long lap. He would have at least a long lap. Um probably two. You know, you you you'll be at I mean, I haven't dug through the, the, the archives of penalties because they just annoy the hell out of me generally. And I and I don't want to get up in the morning in a bad mood, so I don't want to think about it. Um, but somewhere there, you'll you'll see that a, a Moto Three rider has been given two long laps or a or a pit lane start or something for irresponsible riding. Um, you know, when you take two bikes down and two riders are in amongst them, doesn't even matter that the you know the corner isn't particularly fast, but you can break an arm or a leg. You know, you, there are, it's it's a dangerous act at the end of the day. And Marquez, since his earliest days in Grand Prix, has been well known for aggressive moves for leaving people with nowhere to go. Now, 
you know, he's kind of got away with it. I mean, I mean, every top-line rider has been guilty of this in the past. Lorenzo, you know, I seem to even remember the likes of Danny Pedrosa has been, you know, borderline on some of the moves he made in his early days. You know, Valentino Rossi, how many people has he had over the handlebars at, at different places when he's pushed them quite hard? You know, there, there have been some very famous names and some very big people that have, that have made these kind of moves. But it's up to the stewards at the end of the day to to apply a consistent penalty to riders that are causing an accident. And by his own admission, he caused this. It was a misjudgment. He should have got a penalty. Why not? Well, uh, it certainly is the talk of the town uh, with everyone getting in on, in touch on uh, Crashnet on the socials. So thank you for sending in all your questions. And uh, yeah, so it was without uh, without action in the first lap. And uh, we touched on it already. Let's uh, move on a little bit more to uh, a good day for the Aspargro family, particularly uh, the Aprilia and Aleish getting their first podium. You know, he said, it's like a dream. I'm super happy. It's been a long way to arrive here. And it really has been. You know, he's been saying he's a top three rider coming into the weekend. And to be fair, right now, after the result, you can't argue too much with him on that one. Uh, but having gained five places on the opening lap to uh, slot into second, he was really hounded right to the very end, uh, just uh, with Miller not quite able to get him. It looked like a, uh, he nearly lost out on a podium spot, but he didn't. Crucially, though, Keith, this is Good timing, isn't it, for Aprilia uh, with their future looking good. And of course, with the announcement coming into the weekend that Vinales has obviously signed with them and he's going to be t- uh, taking Davizioso's test place uh, a couple in a couple of uh, weeks time. I think it's actually tomorrow or today even uh, that uh, that's happening. Miller would have spoiled the party if he'd qualified better and had more confidence. I think the, the problem was is that the tyre wise, you know, wasn't quite where he wanted to be. Third row, Silverstone's you know, a bit wide open spaces, you've got a bit of room there, but you still want to qualify slightly better than that. So, you know, Aleish justifiably got that third place. He looked really good during the whole of the weekend. The bike looked really good during the whole of the weekend. Aprilia must be absolutely ecstatic. Um, They've now got one of the biggest riders in the world, you know, Maverick Vinales, that's going to be riding for them very soon. Um, I would have said that there might have been a little bit of reticence from, from Maverick Bearing in mind his performances have been pretty poor over the, the last few months with, with Yamaha, you might have thought he'd want to get more testing in and wanted it. But I would say that being a rider that that ego will say that he's actually better than Alasia Spargaro, and now seeing what Alasia's just done on the Aprilia, I would think he's pretty damn fired up and keen to get on the Aprilia to see what he can do on it. My my advice would be don't underestimate Alasia Spargaro, you know, he can ride a motorbike. We've not, you know, the 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 race distance for a leash and the bike and the tires, it's always a combination, has never been the best. Um, but over one lap, I mean, Alicia Spargro is is bloody fast. I mean, you, any commentator anywhere in the world will always reckon Alish on a on a on a one lap blast. So he can grit his teeth and get on with it. He may well have just reached a point at Zenith that you get to sometimes in uh, in racing where it's working out for him. Aprilia have put joined up all the dots. And at the same time, they've got that extra motivation of having the likes of Maverick Vinales, who we know can win Grand Prix, coming into the team. Mm. It's going to be a very interesting few months. 
It really is. And Pete, they are going to be absolutely fired up, aren't they? Because, of course, if, if people were unaware of the news coming into the weekend uh, that Vinales will ride the RSGP for the first time during a two-day test at Misano, it's going to be on the 31st of August. So that's Tuesday uh, this week. And that test was obviously initially scheduled for Dovizioso, uh, who uh, I think his priorities now have slightly shifted. Um, but it's going to be massive then because I we, I know we talked about this before. Aprilia are a factory team, but even uh, Alessio Spoker was saying, you know, they're going to be a proper full factory 2022 team. They're going to go all out. They're going to have Alessio Spoker. They're going to have Maverick Vinales. It's going to be a big year for Aprilia. Yeah, you know, everything's in place. I mean, firstly, Aragon, that's one of Alessio the Aprilia's best tracks. That's, that's another thing to say. So if you're going to make a debut anywhere on the bike, you know, we know the Aprilia goes well there. I mean, Alessio's previous best finish on the bike uh, he's got a few of those at, at Aragon so that in itself is a bit of inspiration for Maverick um, as you say perfect time you know it, it's great for Aleish as well in fairness you know Maverick coming in it, it would have been easy potentially let's say for Maverick to steal the glory you know for Maverick to get this first podium for you know after Aleish has done all this work and that would I think would have been a bit of a shame it's great that Aleish gets that reward and whatever happens now whatever Maverick goes on to do with the bike you know Aleish will have that that first podium there, he's been there for five years. Well, this is his fifth year. He's been with the project all the way through. His inspiration, uh, he always says, is Dovi. We've been speaking about it because of the way Dovi, you know, stayed with Ducati right from when they were in their sort of deepest, darkest hours after Rossi left. And then, you know, all the way through to, to challenging for the, for the title. Now, interesting, you were talking about, Keith was talking about, you know, people underestimating Aleish maybe. Exactly as they did with Dovi, wasn't it? You know, it was always, oh, well, Dovi's good, but wait till Ducati get a top rider. You know, when Lorenzo came in and everyone else. And we saw that Dovi, he, he stepped it up, didn't he? And he ended up still being the top rider. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, can Aleish replicate that? You know, Maverick's coming in as the big star, you know, but it doesn't mean that Aleish is just going to roll over and say, oh, okay then. Remind me again what happened to Dovi at Ducati? <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> well he beat Lorenzo <laughs> um, but he ended up with no job at the end of the day I think that um, it, it's a harsh world that we live in in yeah. MotoGP I mean Simone Battistelli, uh, Battistella, the, the, the manager of, of Davizioso. I mean, I think they're very classy people Davizioso and Battistella. I, I find to be a very classy pairing if you like around the paddock you know, there's no big smoke and mirrors, you know, press releases and stuff like that. They've they've kept their powder really dry. There is a reason why he hasn't already done the deal with, with Aprilia, whatever it is. And again, I mean, this is me and I am, you know, numero uno cynic. Um, Aprilia haven't really stepped up in previous years to the promises that they've made pre-season. They've been slow in engineering, slow in bringing the the bits that they've promised to the party, you know, motor upgrades haven't really come when they've said they're going to come, or if they have come, they haven't worked quite as well as they would have expected. Um, you know, we've had testing freezes and God knows what that's gone on, which has not been in their favour, to be honest, to, to mitigate a little bit of that. But I think Aprilia have, have kind of, they're the smallest factory in the paddock as well. You know, at the end of the day, funding is going to be a major issue and it costs millions and millions to produce new stuff. Uh, and the lead-in, an engineering lead-in to that alone, anybody that's in engineering generally, let alone prototype engineering, will know how long this stuff takes to make, to develop, to design, to to get to the to the racetrack. So, you know, there are mitigating circumstances, but Aprilia haven't quite come up to their promises over recent years. 
maybe this Maverick signing, Alesha on the podium, maybe this extra motivation is going to be just what they need to make that jump as we get outside of the technical freeze that will be unfrozen for 2022. Um, but my worry is always is that they have got to be ahead of the game come 2022. Otherwise, it is going to be a, a, a disaster because you can be sure that that massive logjam that we've been waiting to clear from the technical side of things um, for 2022, by the time Honda, Yamaha, you know, Ducati particularly, all this new stuff. I can't wait to see what bloody Gigi Delinia has got piled up behind the bloody prototype door. It's going to be just, just it's going to be so exciting come the start of next year. We've just had the new testing dates out. I think Mandalinka's on there as well. The, the, the new bloody track is is on the testing schedule as well. So, so much to look forward to for 2022. And we ain't even, you know, nowhere near finished this year yet. But I think Aprilia have got to step up now. You know, Davizioso, you mentioned Dovi, obviously. Um, he's done a deal now with Yamaha over at uh, the Patronus, the, the dying Patronus team, as it is. Don't quite know how that's going to work out. It'll be it'll be interesting to see. I mean, they want stability there. They've lost their stability a little bit this year, haven't they, with Morbidelli and, and Quattararo. Um, Morbidelli now having signed for the full factory team next year. That's a big deal and the right one. don't think anybody's going to disagree with that. Um, but then again, what if Morbidelli's not the man he was? What if the injury has affected him for next year. These are things that happen to riders. You can never be absolutely sure how someone is going to recover um, as soon as they get back on the bike. So how much has that that world shifted down the road again? So there's a lot still in the melting pot regarding Yamaha. Dovi is stability, but he's been off the bike a long time. You know, it's, it's well, I don't know. I, I still think there's there's a risky strategy at Yamaha at the moment with this. We'll wait and see. We will wait and see. Uh, fireworks, uh, no matter what you do in MotoGP, something's always going to happen week in, week out. Um, but it, you couldn't help but smile, could you, when Alicia Spargro uh, crossed the finish line in the podium spot. And I think another person who you couldn't help but smile for was Alex Rins, who managed to claim his first podium oh. of the season with Suzuki coming from 10th on the grid, had a lengthy battle with his teammate, Joanne Mir, and the Ducati of Miller and Bagnaia, but tyre issues for them, suspectedly, saw Rins able to uh, pull away, but he couldn't quite overcome Fabio's, uh, I think it was a three-plus second gap in the end, but a good result for Rins and quite possibly the beginning of a turnaround for him this season. Do you know what? Muscle memory, Pete. It's one thing that we can say watching riders all our lives, you know, like Silverstone is a great place for Alex Rins. When he managed to beat up Mark Marquez at the line for the, for the win at uh, the British Grand Prix, what, three years ago now, 2019, not quite, but anyway. Um, the fact of the matter is, is that he beat one of the best riders in the world at the line. Um, it's in your head. You know, some tracks, for some reason, there is that that tiny little thing that makes you go better at a track. You can't, you know, it's, it's indiscernible. Um, Suzuki have always been pretty good on tyres, generally. And if I remember last time when he beat Mark Marquez to the line in 2019, Marquez just just had used up his rear tyre enough. He just got it spinning a little bit in that final sector. And Rins hadn't. And Rins lined himself up for the under undercut and got him to the line. Um, so Rins has got great memories with Silverstone. But you're right. It's a great time to turn it around. You know, the British Grand Prix is a bit, one of the biggest ones on the calendar. And to turn it around. Full house as well. I mean, you know, that's another factor that, that makes everybody raise their game. When you go out in practice and the terraces are... 
a damn near full on a Friday and a Saturday, and then you, the build-up to it. I mean, it's actually it's, it's ridiculous, I know, and as old as I am, I'm sitting here and talking about it, the hairs are going up on my arms. It's just, you know, I am I can feel it rising in me while I sit here talking this shit. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how crazy it is at, at Grand Prix level. You know, or, you know, it's one of the biggest events. It, it's, it's emotional, it's passion, it's everything fires you up for it and the fans are fired up for it you know and, and to, to see them all trackside i mean you know the, the only downside was it at the end of the day was was the fact that valentino you know couldn't make it work for him there he qualified pretty well put himself in a good position and um, for whatever reason we're hearing tire again for, for him he just couldn't get the thing up. he said something like it you know he felt like the tire had burnt out i think pete will correct me on this because obviously he keeps he keeps an eye on the <laughs> the particular parts of press releases that are written out but you know I, i'm i'm you just think to yourself it's a great shame and and Valentino doesn't burn tires. He's not, you know, he's a Sunday guy. He knows how to get the thing to the end, whatever the circumstances. So there must have been a fault because Rossi doesn't wreck tires. You know, if you, there are other riders that can't get to the end on a tire, but he certainly would have been able to. But it was a shame that he didn't perform at the British Grand Prix. There was a lot of love there for him. Clearly, I mean, you know, BT Sport did some fantastic coverage for. For him, ITV were covering it for the weekend on free television as well. MotoGP.com covered themselves in absolute poo because it collapsed two minutes before the you know the, the website for Dorna collapsed just prior to the event, sending the world into into a tailspin. Because obviously, a lot of people rely on the on the internet feed. If you're in Japan, Australia, or wherever you are, and you're not getting a live telly feed, that's the, the subscription to MotoGP.com is is really important. Um, so that was a major issue for a lot of people. But ITV Freeview, I mean, what a time to be, you know, what a great event to put out on for, for free in the UK. Um, you know, good on them is all I can say. And and, and more of it sporadically. I don't, I don't want it to undermine the likes of BT Sport because I think, you know, BT Sport, even though I'm not with them anymore, I've got to tell you that that, 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 that coverage is gold. You know, when have we ever had coverage as good? Never in my view. Um but I still believe in Freeview Television. I still believe that our Grand Prix should be should be given to to the masses. I think that it's good for the sport. It's good for the fans. Um, and in these times of difficulty financially, not everybody can afford the rather large um, expense of, of 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 satellite television. You know, that's just my view. But there's a balance to be had there somewhere, Falks, and I reckon they hit it perfectly at Silverstone. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And actually, I compare it, obviously, a lot to the four-wheeled world and the way BT do their coverage uh, in the UK and actually how MotoGP cover, not just MotoGP, but Moto2 and Moto3, all in one weekend. They give everything equal footing almost. Everyone gets the time of day. You don't see that in every top tier racing series and its support series. So uh, I, I agree with them. Got to give them credit on that. Let's pick up though, Pete, back on uh, some of the struggles that uh, we saw throughout the grid because obviously Rins managed to claim a podium, but it was mixed fortunes in the Suzuki camp. Joan Mir, uh, they had a good battle, but then he fell off along with, who who do we say? Bagnaya, Miller, who had a qualifying struggle as well with his tyres, obviously Valentino Rossi. So there were quite a few riders who were seemingly struggling and falling back as the race progressed exactly yeah i mean we, we've seen you know throughout the year people talking about tires not performing as a, as they are expected to do should we say now there's been talk about 
preheated tires was an issue sort of earlier in the year. And this is, these are tires that, that are not used, but they're sort of put in the tire warmers and then they're not used on the track that, that week. So they're taken to the next event. So they're warmed up for a second time. And so the, the teams and riders believe that that takes a bit of performance off. Now, Michelin, to be completely fair to them and, and transparent, they when they allocate these preheated tyres, they tell the teams, look, these are the preheated tyres. They all get the same number, et cetera, et cetera. And what normally happens is they'll use them in Friday practice when it's not that important. They'll sort of get them out of the way and then use the brand new ones. So what we saw in the race was something different because this wasn't, you know, they, you wouldn't use preheated tyres in the race. These, these were tyres that, that for whether it was the change in temperature, whatever reason, behaved completely differently, it seemed. I mean, the examples you gave. I mean, Rossi said Rossi liked the hard tire, first of all. And, and, you know, if it had been a bit warmer, I think he would have gone with that and that would have helped him. So he he was a bit different in that he stepped back down to the medium, which is what most of the people were going to use anyway. So he expected maybe there's going to be some issues, but he said he didn't expect anything like that. He said he was losing uh, one, two, three seconds a lap. As Keith says, he, he the words he used were, it felt like the tire was burnt. And he, he said it was incredible, the, the, you know, the, the amount of grip that he lost. Um, and it, with Mia, though, it was the front tyre. He had issues with the front tyre. Cal Crutcher had issues with the rear. Um, Banyaya, I think, was the, the rear as well. So it, it, there wasn't really a common sort of, you know, oh, well, it was that tyre or that setup. It, it was various issues. But the, the one thing in common seemed to be the lack of grip from the tyre. Jake Dixon was another. He had a great performance in the warm-up. He'd been only... Uh, 1.6 seconds off in the warm-up. And he felt he was actually, his pace in the warm-up was, I think he said, a bit better than Rossi, you know, his teammate. So he was feeling really confident going into the race. Um, to put that 1.6 into perspective, that's actually what Gerloff did in Assen. So that's kind of matched the, the time difference that Gerloff did. But Assen is a much shorter track. I think it's 30 seconds shorter. So, you know, Jake was really, you know, fired up to have a good result. And he was so frustrated after the race. He, he said it was like, you know, the bike was just a completely different bike. He wouldn't say the word tire. He wouldn't say the word Michelin, but he said, look, I'll leave it to you guys. But, you know, he said it just didn't behave from the moment the race started, basically, how it had earlier. And, you know, I asked him, did you change tire? You know, did you react to the colder temperatures? He said, no, no, no. You know, this was what we'd been using in the warm up and everything else. So it just didn't behave in any way the same. And the gap is so big. Riders talking about several seconds a lap difference in lap time. And, yeah, we keep hearing this from riders, you know, that, that this is happening and they don't seem to know why. And, and, and it's not clear, but yeah, it's, it's obviously a cause of massive frustration. And if you're Mia and you've just lost a, a huge amount of points to Quattro in the championship, it has big implications. You know, Michelin, out of all the tyre manufacturers throughout all my years of being in the paddock, I would say Michelin tyres have been the most consistent. Bridgestone were really, really good from a consistency point of view provided they came out of one factory or the other. I mean, there, there used to be a time back in the Dunlop days where a Japanese Dunlop made in Japan wasn't quite as good as a, a British Dunlop made in Birmingham or the other way around, depending on what track you were at. I mean, it was ridiculous. You'd have to, you know, oh, well, can I have one of that? No, we've only got so many of them. The others have come from, from Japan or the others have come from Birmingham. Pirelli, you know, are, are, have been inconsistent in their time, but Michelin and maybe Bridgestone, but Michelin are the current, so we'll carry on with them, have always been really, really consistent. As long as I can remember, even the production tyres that you buy off them when you're a club racer or whatever, the consistency in their tyres and their production have always been really good. So it must be really worrying for Terramasso and the rest of the team on site as to what may have changed back in Clermont-Ferrand or something like that. I don't, I don't know whether there is 
or the way that they've been stored or the way that they've been shipped. Remember, they're in containers. You know, if you've got the container sitting on the dockside in Malaysia, where it's, I mean, I know it's not because we've not been there, but if, if you consider the fact it's sitting there on the dockside cooking under the Malaysian sun, you know, 40 degrees plus whatever it might be inside. I know they're insulated inside those containers as well for that very problem. They, they obviously know the fact is that they're going via container. But how have they been stored? Where have they come from? How have they been transported? How have they been kept? It will make a difference. It ain't just black and round. It's actually quite a technical part of uh, of the motorbike. You know, tyres are everything. It's no good having the best motorbike in the world if you can't connect it to the floor. So, you know, Michelin are going to be scratching their head. They're going to have done their – all the Michelin guys have got handheld, like, like it's like an iPad thing, but it's it's unique to Michelin. Every piece of information that's put into it, goes direct to all the other handheld Michelin people and direct to the factory. It's live linked. Uh, there, There is nothing that gets by Michelin. It's not like pass it on so you get Chinese whispers down the road, you know, well, so-and-so says this, so-and-so says that, and by the time it gets to the end, it's completely different. It's it, the, 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 We are talking about state-of-the-art monitoring of what's going on with these tyres. So if there is a, a problem somewhere, um, Michelin will get to the bottom of it. The other side of it, and, and in fairness to any tire manufacturer, just a few degrees of change of temperature or whatever it might be overnight that's happened to the track makes a difference. And different manufacturers, different manufactured bikes react differently to the way a tire is performing on that next day, that next phase that is being used through. But of course, at Silverstone, it was across manufacturers. So it's it is a it is something that Michelin are going to be very concerned about, and believe me, today Monday they are going to be scratching around, looking at all that data, looking at all that information, trying to work out you know who was running what you know tire pressures, you know what temperatures were the exactly around the track in different places. Everything is going to be data wise is going to be added up where those tires came. They can track those tires back to the to exact time of day when it was manufactured, where it came from, what it, you know, obviously what it had been used for, where it had been stored, how it was transported. So all of that is going to be going on right now as we're speaking. Um, and they will get it sorted out. There's no doubt in my mind. Michelin are a great company and they've done a great job in MotoGP. Well, it certainly had its effect on multiple riders. Curiously, though, actually, Pete, Joan Zarco, what happened to him? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't <laughs> the best weekend for, for Zarco in general, was it? It seems like after the summer break, we've had Austria and everything else. And it's, yeah, I, I don't think he had a specific tyre issue. I'm not completely sure, to be honest with that. But I, th- I think, yeah, he's just sort of been searching for that form that he had earlier in the year. We've had his teammate, Jorge Martin, on the rise. And, and that was a, another great shame in the, in the clash with Marquez because Martin was looking strong again. Um, maybe even Marquez as well. You know, they, they weren't, he wasn't that strong, but he was looking like competitive. Um, but Martin certainly felt that he should have been in that podium fight. And, you know, the chance, well, his race was destroyed, to use his words. So, yeah, a shame for the Pramac team. First lap incidents, you know, like you, you're jockeying for position. I mean, there's that old ad, you can't win it on the first lap, but you can certainly lose the race on the first lap. And I think that that, that kind of fits in, in the, the Marquez situation, doesn't it? I mean, 2019 when Quattararo, I mean, lit up in the first first corner and took Dovi out. You know, that wrecked two top-line riders that we were going to you know, have quite an excited time about with them. But it happens, but I, I, I still get back to the point with Marquez. It was, you know, his forcefulness and his mistake. Um, and where's the penalty? 
Not that I'm banging the drum. <laughs> Where's the penalty? Come on. Well, what I, I, I'm not, I don't care about actually the penalty. What I care about is where's the explanation as to why there wasn't one? Yeah, what, where it's not the penalty. I, I'm not banging the drum to get Marquez penalised. <clears throat> I've got no interest in that at all. But the, the interest for me is is where's the explanation? Where Where is the detail mm. behind it? We're in a detailed sport. It's got to be there. We're now penalising people for being a millimetre onto the green paint. You know, it's important to be precise. This is a precise sport. Two things that annoy me, as you know. One is flag-to-flag. Why aren't the teams a bit more coordinated when you've got a flag-to-flag situation? That really annoys me because it looks like amateur hour when everybody dives in and everybody's everywhere and (laughs) bikes are being thrown all over the place. And this consistency business with with penalties. I mean, uh, they are the two weak spots, I think, with you know, with, with MotoGP for me. Yeah, and just to add to that, I mean, we don't even know if Mark was called to go and see the stewards. I mean, I mean, you know, just that in itself, if, if they say, well, look, you know, Marquez was called to give his side of the story, we've examined the camera angles and, you know, we've decided that, that no action should be taken, fair enough, but we just hear nothing, so... And that and that is wrong, Pete, isn't it? I mean, it's not... It's, it's, the, the, the public, you know, hang on a minute, there's people paying... Yeah, you know, it's 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 bad enough from a journalistic point of view that we we don't get the information, but the fact that the public are asking the question, well, where, you know, and of course they, they and, and it also brings, unfortunately, the that that horrible trolling bloody it's a Spanish sport and they're protecting the Spanish, which I never have, have believed personally. I mean, I have huge respect for Dorna and what they do, but um, you can understand how the trolls rise in this situation. <laughs> We should, point, we should point out Jorge Martin is also Spanish. Well, look, it wasn't a great day on, on the Mark, uh, Marquez side uh, for Honda. And uh, Paul Asparger, obviously, starting from Paul, let's, let's switch courses with Honda. He couldn't keep it there. I don't think anyone really expected him to be able to, to keep up that pace. Coming home in the end, uh, fifth place. But Alex Marquez as well, with a good result, rising up through the ranks. And he came home eighth. So a little bit of damage limitation, perhaps, for the Honda teams. You know, I can feel that bunch of straw you're clutching at there. <laughs> I think that... Uh, you wouldn't I say that Honda... on BT. <laughs> <laughs> I did. That's why I'm sitting here talking yeah. to you. <laughs> um, you know, I think that, yeah, Honda... Honda have got a lot of work to do, but once again, they, they're kind of relying again on Marquez, aren't they? The rise of Mark Marquez rather than Alex. Um, I think that'll all change come next year. I think we're in a transition period for Honda. Um, they can't change. They're, they're still in a technical freeze. They can't change the motors. You know, they, they will be moving forward next year. I mean, Honda's a, you know, they're a great company. You know, you know, they're going to be working hard. Um, to try and move it forwards, and and I think that when we get through the winter and we get to 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 2022, uh, the big question is going to be whether there is enough testing to to test all the bits that they've got. Whether you know whether they're going to be, um, you know, they're obviously going to be doing some testing, but will it be enough? And will they hit the sweet spot early enough to be able to you know make those few laps of of testing that they're going to have at the beginning of 22 work, or are or is 2022 going to be an entire test year? Um, it's it's going to be. Mind you, having said that, they can't just have an entire test year because it's going to be frozen after the first round. Once they've, you know, the, the the deal is is you do your testing with your new bits, 
you make your decision what bike it's going to, what motor it's going to be. And when we get to Qatar round one, you know, that's the cutoff that those, those engines for the year are then sealed. You've done your bit. Um, Bloody hell, it's going to be frantic at the beginning of 2022. I can't wait. <laughs> I think what this weekend also sort of underlined is, is the rear grip is the problem on the Honda. And the Silverstone circuit, uh, Paul was explaining, I think it was Saturday, that there was a bit more, you know, they did a great job of resurfacing. And they, had, they hadn't really, because in race last year, it had great grip. And he said, you know, he said, when you're lacking something and someone gives you a bit of what you need, you sort of grab it with both hands. And he said that was kind of what had happened this weekend. They've been, he, or he in particular, has been fighting with this lack of rear grip. He said, other than Le Mans, which was a similar situation in terms of the grip level, suddenly they get this little bit more rear grip and bang, you know, he just grabs it with both hands and makes the most of it. And so the other thing he pointed out was, look at the rear tyre choice in the race. The Hondas were all on the soft. You know, they're trying to get more rear grip, more rear grip. So he said, it, it's just really underlining that what the main issue is for them, and as Keith said, the issue that they need to, to now solve, I agree with Keith. I don't think they're going to be able to fix this this year. I think, you know, they've been trying to, to solve this since the start of last year. It's going to need all of these new developments that they've no doubt got in the pipeline to get on top of this for next year. Um, but it did show, and I, and it's great, gives great hope for Paul and others that, look, if, you, if, they, if Honda do sort this rear grip problem, he can be fast. Trouble is, you know, Pete, is that you know Michelin will have the next um, tranche of tyres for next year. They will change their spec. And this is another problem that you get quite often, that, that you know suddenly you arrive with your newly tuned motorcycle to suit the grip levels, and um, suddenly the whole bloody goalposts have moved to a different place. And we've seen it this year. You know, Michelin have brought a, a different front tyre that you know people don't like or it doesn't quite, quite work with their manufacturer. So it is a moving target. It's about those people who can get on top of that earliest that count. And again, the man for that job at the moment, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Fabio Quattararo. You know, you said it right at the very beginning, Harry, when we came on air. He's the man that gets around every problem. And his ride at the weekend was beautiful, that he waited. You know, none of that, you know, pushing and shoving that we've been talking about with Mark Marquez and Jorge Martin. It was, he waited and got the job done. Once he got in front, there was no one going to touch him. And he never looked like making a mistake. I know you kind of keep your fingers crossed when you say that kind of thing because it's so easy to throw the thing at the fence. But, um, you know, it was, a, it was a beautiful ride, a game from him, and, and he was the man making the Yamaha work. Um, he's worth his weight in bloody gold at the moment. He, he is to Yamaha what Marquez was to Honda at the moment. I think it was Alicia Spargo after the race. It, you know, it's not just the points lead that Quattararo's got he's just riding better than everyone as well, you know, and it's the two things together. You know, sometimes you get guys that they get a big points lead because the fastest guys have fallen off or something, but that's not the case. You know, he's just out, but as Keith said, he's just outperforming everybody. He's outscoring everybody. And you've got to believe he's got at least one hand, one leg, everything else on the, on the title now. I mean, to have such a, was it 65 point lead with, yeah. well, we don't know exactly how many rounds, but what, six, seven rounds left. I mean, it's it's hard to see how, bearing in mind his closest rival Suzuki haven't won a race this year. I mean, yes, it was a great weekend for them, but you know they still haven't won a race this year. So, how could you then even begin to hope to overturn that kind of that kind of lead? And I, what was scary? What was scary, Harry? Sorry, I've got I've got to mention this, otherwise I'll forget it. Because once I go around the goldfish bowl, I've forgotten. 
nice castle. <laughs> <laughs> it was Quattararo's comment, 65-point lead. It means he said something along the lines of that he can fight. He can fight for the, the – he wants to be able to fight for the win – and now that he's got that massive buffer, he feels that he can because mm. you know, if he makes a mistake and loses 25 points, it's not going to be – it will be a disaster, but it won't be as big a disaster if he's close to you know, a, a championship points you know, situation with somebody else. He can now – he can carry on fighting. And that's the kind of thing – different riders that react in different ways when it comes to, to a point situation. If you relax, you start to go a little bit slower you know, you start to think you've got one hand on the trophy and your focus starts to drift slightly. And to get back to a race winning ways from that position is really, really difficult. To actually get into a position where you're fighting to win all the time and your total focus is on the, the tiniest thousands of a, a second here, there and everywhere, then you keep forward, you keep going forward. And now he has got, he's got both. He's got the situation where he can fight for it still, push it to the absolute edge with the buffer of knowing that, doesn't really matter if he chucks it up the road. Uh, he won't be aiming to do that, but maybe he's the kind of guy that, that this is, you know, now he's got that kind of lead. He's, he's away. I'll tell you who he reminds me of, and, I, and this is going to sound ridiculous initially, is that he reminds me of Lorenzo on a motorbike. He's an aggressive Lorenzo. He's actually smooth but aggressive. He's, he's got that kind of quality that once he gets in front, you can't get near him. Once he gets a rhythm going – it's really difficult to to get to him. I mean, he's he's not as tidy as Lorenzo. Lorenzo was was like he was that knife through butter. He was he was beautiful on a motorbike. Um, but Quattararo's got his own style and his own way of doing the job on the Yamaha. And there's no one else that can can get near him at the moment. Once he's got in front and he's got the rhythm going. I'm sorry, Harry. On the Keith was talking about being able to fight. One thing that Quattararo mentioned that, that compares quite well with the, sort of the disaster at the end of last year for him is that the front feeling of the Yamaha is just really working for him now. And he's able to overtake, as we saw on Sunday. He's able to pass riders and overtake. So I think, you know, as Keith, Keith, as Keith's mentioning, he's going to be fighting. He's got the bike that gives him the confidence to do that. Whereas at the end of last year, we saw him, you know, so frustrated that he couldn't make up positions and things like that. And it seems that seems to be where the biggest progress has been made with the Yamaha for this year. There is nothing in a rider's toolkit like a positive front end. Honestly, if you've got a front end that works for you everywhere, providing you can hook up a bit of grip at the back, obviously, because you've got to drive it forwards, but front end does it for a motorbike racer. Mm. Well, and I know woulda, shoulda, couldas are a constant in uh, motorsport as well, but we talk about this huge 65-point lead. That could be nearly double right now if it wasn't for the arm pump issue in Spain and then, of course, the chest plate issue in, in Catalonia. So you just think how much further he could be. And now, as you say, he can afford to actually uh, fight and risk it a little bit more than perhaps uh, the usual uh, ways championships are, are dealt with in the back end of a season. Uh, well, it's right at the top for uh, Fabio Quartararo. Uh, let's sort of round things off for the moment in MotoGP with KTM, uh, who had a really struggling weekend to begin with but seemed to have clawed back a little bit in the race been to seventh great results for the tech three boys laquona in seventh petrucci in tenth you could see the celebrations that tech three put up on their socials afterwards where petrucci came in they were absolutely hounded him for 10th place but you could see what that means to them but ktm 
seeming to overcome their struggles, but they've had a bit of a flip-flop in, in recent weekends, haven't they? Because, you know, they've been up there, then they've been down, then back up again. What's happened with KTM this weekend? To start with, you've got to qualify. Binder, late race pace for, for Brad Binder is just brilliant. I mean, like, he just takes people on the last couple of laps like you wouldn't believe. He, I mean, he's a bit special late race. Need to get it qualified. Need to be away with the with the top guys. And, uh, I mean, that's the big issue, I think, at the moment, particularly for Brad Binder. Um, you know, he, he made up places, as he always seems to do, in those last few laps that you, you don't believe that he could manage, but he does. Um, it must be frustrating from a factory point of view because by the time you get to the end of the race, you should have used up all your goodies. You should have used up your tyres. You should have used up your you – know, you know, everything should be virtually over by then. You just cruise into the line virtually. But, but of course, um, Binder still has – he still has quick pace late on in the race. You know, KTM are going to be analysing why that is. You get it sometimes with the way chassis use tyres. You know, the – He's still got grip. He's still got forward motion late in a race that gives him the opportunity to to duff someone up in the closing stages. They're going to be looking at at trying to get that to to unlock that that performance maybe a little earlier in the race, but particularly again qualifying. You've got to make those front two rows of the grid really if you're going to if you're going to win races. Yeah, I think. Let's be honest, I think KTM would have expected a bit more from this year. You know, after the success of last year, I think they, they were caught off guard, as we've said, by this different allocation of front tyres. Then they, they sort of seemed to get on top of that really quickly and impressively. And, and as you say, you know, they had the three podiums in a row with Oliveira and it was all looking good. And then Oliveira had that weird accident in Austria, didn't he? And, it, and he's, he, he hasn't been sort of quick since then. So we've got to believe he's still struggling with his fitness there. Binder... You know, if he could qualify, as you say, he'd be up there at the front every week almost since since the new parts have arrived, shall we say. Um, but yeah, it's just I think they'll be a bit frustrated and have expected more from this season. Um, hopefully they can understand where this inconsistency has come from and, and fix it for next year. Because we know, you know, both of their riders, I mean, Binder and Oliveira, when they're when they're on form, they're almost you know, they're unstoppable. They're certainly capable of beating the best in the world. So it, I think it must be quite frustrating the way that their, their form is sort of going up and down. And, and, and as Keith says, you know, the fastest guys at the end of the race, but they just run out of laps in the case of Binder. So, yeah, they need to get a bit like a bit like Suzuki in previous years. We saw they couldn't qualify, you know, and they were always having to fight their way through what their way through. And it seems like Binder's in that same sort of position now. And hopefully, you know, if they can get the difference is with Suzuki, it was both riders that, that couldn't qualify. Whereas at KTM, it seems it's it's just Brad can't get that one sort of crazy lap together. But that will be their their main focus, I think, on Binder's side. And and yeah, I think with Oliveira, with the other guys, Lacona, we still don't know the future. Talking about Petrucci and Lacona, what they're going to be doing. Petrucci, it seems like he's, you know, he, he's looking at taking this off-road offer, if you like, from KTM. That seems to be what he's after. He, he seems like he wants to get back to sort of a purer form of racing. He said, we spend more time looking at the data than we do riding bikes in MotoGP. No satisfying offers from World Superbike yet. So, you know, where will he be? It looks like it could be on the dirt, should we say. Lacona, he had been linked with Patronus, but now it looks like it's a straight sort of, well, Dobby's got the one seat and maybe Darren Binder and, and Dixon are now in sort of a head-to-head for the second seat. So Lacona, it's, he's been saying he doesn't want to go back to Motor 2, but, but what are the other options? Maybe a Superbike team takes a chance on him. Terrible, really, for Lacona. I feel a bit sorry for him, really, because he's had some... He's, he looked, he's, he's shown a bit of promise. I mean, Petrucci, you know, 
do you want to do the Paris Dakar or do you want to do a MotoGP? You know, it's kind of like one of those horrible choices that, um, yeah, maybe a ride in the Paris Dakar if that's been an ambition, but blimey, that is, you are out of the frying pan into the fire with that one, aren't you? That mm-hmm. is a big deal. <clears throat> but if that's what he wants to do and there's nothing else left to do, then uh, let's wish him luck. Absolutely. Well, uh, still a lot to be uh, decided in terms of rider moves. We'll come back on to uh, that a little later on, but let's uh, change focus and have a look at Moto2 and Moto3 briefly, and we'll come back to some more MotoGP stuff to round things off. In Moto2, it was Remy Gardner who took victory ahead of Marco uh, Bezecchi. Gardner, though, under a lot of pressure from uh, Bezecchi. Um, it's his fourth win of the season. Closest championship rival, Ralph Fernandez was a no points this weekend round he fell off and actually uh perhaps uh actually suffered a bit a bit of injury there as well which uh hopefully pete will be able to give us an update on uh in a minute but um keith gardner again with another win um it looked like bezeki maybe had a, a went for the wrong tire choice there which perhaps uh, was the ultimate uh nail in his coffin to try and secure the yeah win. i mean i I think you're right. I think that that was, you know, at the end of the day, Remy Gardner is quality at the moment. I mean, who would have betted it two years ago? You know, Remy, you know, he, he had potential, but it didn't seem like it was going to arrive. And all of a sudden, you know, this year, he's just looked quality throughout, hasn't he? I mean, he is just the class act. Um, a little bit disappointed for, for Sam Lowe. Sam Lowe's looked like he got the performance to, to make the podium over the weekend but it just didn't happen on the day when you when it counts, of course. So Sam finishing fourth, he'll be he'll be gutted with that, I would think, because he looked potentially like a race winner, certainly a podium. Um, Bezeki, again, you can't really tell because his performance this year hasn't really been where he would want it to be. So you know, Silverstone was was looking like he might, he's, you know, he popped that one in in qualifying. You went, oh, hang on a second, <clears throat> he looks like he's going to be a, a, a one of the men to challenge, but. I just think Gardner is class at the moment. He just he looks so in control of the whole thing. I mean, it was a fairly dull Moto Two race. You know, Moto GP was dull. I thought personally, um, Moto Three was the class again of of the weekend. Um, maybe they should put Moto Three on as the last race of the day because yeah. <laughs> it's always it's always incredibly good from a from a spectator point of view and from a fun and games point of view. There you go, Dorna. Motor 3 last, yeah. please. A new format change. Uh, but, yeah, it was a shame for Sam Lowe's in fourth. He got pit by Jorge Navarro. But Ralph Fernandez fell off his bike, didn't he, Pete? Um, have we got an update on that? Because it did look like it was a bit of a hefty whack. Yeah, nothing official from the team. So I think he, we did see initially they sort of waved over for a stretcher, didn't they? And then he sort of mm. got up onto his feet and walked away. So, so fingers crossed there's nothing sort of permanent there, should we say, serious there. Um, yeah, big win, big win for Gardner, wasn't it? And, you, you know... It, Fernandez is now, I think, only eight points ahead of Bezeki in the championship. So he's now his attention almost from from trying to catch Gardner. He's also got to keep one eye on Bezeki closing on in, in on him for second now. So yeah, I mean, he was uh, what was he? He was slamming the haters two weeks ago or whatever. I mean, I hope he's not looking at his social media too much now because <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't advise it, but Remy Gardner now with a 44-point lead. Also coming into the weekend, it was announced that Triumph have uh, extended their engine deal uh, with uh, Moto2 um, coming on to uh, them. Uh, Moto2 signing a three-year extension uh, to continue. That's the Triumph 765cc. Good news for Triumph and Moto2. 
Yeah, absolutely good news for them. I mean, it was a bit ironic that we saw Marcel Schrotter rolling around with a smoky one. <laughs> but it wasn't actually smoky, smoky, was it? It was water in the end that was coming out of him. Someone had, had undone a water pipe on it. But it, it, it kind of, I don't know why it made me smile again. It's one of those situations. And they make the announcement. And then next thing we're focused on television <laughs> on, a, on a triumph that's smoking. But it wasn't the motor. It, to be fair, it wasn't the motor. It was a water leak. And he added, he got a long lap penalty for not taking any notice of the meatball flag, the the orange and the black flag. He should have pulled off immediately, and he didn't. Um, which I can't believe a rider of his stature didn't do that. But yeah, good for Triumph, good for the sport. I mean, when Triumph came on board with the seven six five, it's such a major upgrade for for the Grand Prix series in that it moved the the middleweight class, if you like, closer to MotoGP and further away from Moto3. More electronics, more mid-range torque, um, so much more in a technical point um, over what were the Hondas. Honda Honda Motors, unburstable, did a great job, filled the gap for, for a great number of years. And when you know Dorna couldn't find any other engine manufacturer to come on board, Honda carried on bridging the gap, if you like, on out of date across the across the frame four cylinder 600s um but as soon as we got the 765 triple in there look good sounds good i mean it sounds like the right motorbike on the track as well you know about a howling pack of 765s it's it's to behold um it's been good for triumph i mean i I always have to admit i always have to admire sorry uh, a manufacturer that's about to put their name to the testing of um of their product to a bunch of bloody hooligans on a Grand Prix track that are over-revving them on the upshifts, downshifts, and any other shift you like. Um, you know, it's a, it's a big deal when you I, – I would think there were a few few people at Triumph that probably went <gasps> – held their breath for a few rounds early on in that. But it's proved to be and proved good for Triumph, good for the sport, and a great liaison that Dorna have managed to piece together. Brilliant. And I think also maybe, um, you know, credit to Pro, the, the company that's sort of – prepares the engines and so try and pro- provide them don't they Keith and then it's up to them to really make sure the power the, the performance is is the same across the board do you know what really good point I'm I'm so pleased that you picked that up and I I bloody completely overlooked Trevor Morris and the, and the mob at Aragon on the um, Aragon Tech Park they're, they're based just outside the Aragon circuit and Trevor Morris and his car I've known Trevor all my racing life effectively and and they do a great job. They refresh, basically triumph. They hand over the product, and that's it. You know, they, they are the providers of the units, and and Extern Pro basically do all the stuff to keep the things refreshed and keep the motors equal. You know, to keep it, keep that stability through the year. So yeah, good shout, Pete. Good shout. Well, uh, perhaps it was a slightly uh, a duller affair from MotoGP and Moto Two this weekend, but Moto Three certainly proved once again perhaps to be the class of the weekend it was Fanati who eased to a win almost ahead of Nicolo Antonelli uh, but interesting championship leaders Pedro Costa and Sergio Garcia poor qualifying kind of cemented uh, a bit of a, a hard-fought race for both of those Keith your thoughts on Moto3 this weekend Acosta and uh, Garcia who cares you know like at the end of, if, you, if you're going to have a bad day you might as well both have it together yeah, when the championship yeah. comes so the pair of them were, were down the field a bit but Romano Fanati do you know I've always loved Romano Fanati oh yeah I know he's I know he's crossed the line a couple of times and he has suffered badly for his indiscretions but the bloke can ride a motorbike I mean like every session he went out he was fastest and he was fastest on his own, not waiting for other people, not waiting for a slipstream. And, I mean, you can get some pretty mighty slipstreams at uh, Silverstone. 
if you hang around. You can gain half a second, maybe even a second a lap if you get two really good drafts. But no, not Fanati. He does it his own way. And and the performance, I mean, qualifying was remarkable. He hadn't got a lap until the very last lap of qualifying, until he went under the checkered flag to set that pole position. I mean, he had was it was it Felon that was behind him who fell off, actually. So Felon was stuck in behind him. Fanati had got completely miffed by people that were waiting for him. When everyone in pit lane was waiting for Fanati to go down pit lane to come out onto the track so they could draft him and try and use Fanati, but he weren't having any of it. Came back into pit lane, you know, arms around, waving, looking about. Well and truly, you know, I thought I thought his head would go. I thought he's just going to blow this completely. He's going to start mid-grid when he's been the fastest man out there all week so far. And uh, <clears throat> sure enough, for the last lap, Fallon came round behind him and, and he looked round at Fallon and he, he, he could see he, was, he was, didn't want anybody to follow him. Even Fallon, who was never going to be able to keep with him anyway. And then Fallon fell off, as I said, and Fanati had the lap to himself. And and absolutely blew him away. I mean, set that pole position. And if you go back to the time, you know, bloody back at, I think it was Mizano, wasn't it, where he grabbed a handful of Manzi's bloody front brake because he was pissed off and frustrated with Manzi, got himself, you know, people on Twitter. I do love Twitter, mm-hmm. except on this occasion, where they were accusing him of attempted murder. I always remember that one that came out. Someone accused him of attempted murder. He should be done for <laughs> attempted murder. It went completely off the scale. The fact of the matter is, if we go back to that time, if I might just waste a bit more time here on Crash with this subject, you know, yeah, he grabbed his front brake, and it was so wrong, you know, because it could have gone so wrong. But all of us, through our years of mucking about on trail bikes, on motocrosses, on even on bloody road, road race bikes, you go past your mate and you flick their ignition off if they've got an ignition key, if it's a production bike. You grab their front brake, you smack them on the arse, you... you twang their bloody handlebars or something it's it's kind of i know it shouldn't be in a grand prix level and you shouldn't do it and i'm not condoning it at all but these are the kind of antics that when someone either cheeses you off or you're having a bit of fun with them yeah you do it it is what it's what it is um so attempted murder of course it wasn't attempted murder it was a a, a bit of frustration and uh, he grabbed manzi's front brake he grabbed it a bit hard i've got to say so <laughs> he, he he absolutely deserved his ban and absolutely deserved what he got um, but attempted murder, it definitely wasn't. And then there was a time when he threw the remote control at, uh, at um, uh, was it Nieto or something? Yeah, threw it at him, but, you know, One of the VR46 team. Uh, yeah. The VR46 team, and he got himself slung out of the VR46 team prior to a racing weekend. I mean, uh, it was so serious that they, they chucked him out of that. He's a hothead. And he looks like a bloody hothead. He looks like the, he looks like that little short bloke that you wouldn't fight with anywhere because he just looks like he's going to have a go. <laughs> and that is Fanati. And, uh, and, and, and he's got a way of riding a motorbike as well. You watch him. He loves a wide line. He'll ride round the outside like, he, like he's riding a berm in a motocross situation. And we're all sort of all ex-motorbikes, current motorbike racers, all looking at him thinking, yeah, how's he finding that grip? How's he going that quick? You know, he's got his own way. I, I hope that he is a late bloomer and I hope that, that he moves on into, into greater things because I think Romano Fanati has got something about him that is a little bit special. I just hope it isn't mired in the, in the kind of go-but way, if you like, mm. you know, the, the, you know, where your, your, your talent implodes into some kind of you know, disaster area like uh, Anthony Gobert's did if you go back that far. I mean, we still think about Gobert and the talent he's got and how he completely blew it. 
let's hope it's not the same for, for the likes of Romano Fanati because it was a great ride. It was a great ride. Great qualifying, great ride, fully deserved. He's back on the map. Um, and for me, it was the ride of the, ride of the weekend, bar none. Well, attempted murder or not, certainly ride of the weekend. Actually, just off topic, I think you'll like this. I, I when I worked on a touring car, uh, sorry, four wheels, a touring car race a few weekends ago. And there was... Barely four wheels if you're talking touring cars. <laughs> but there was a slight um, translation error in the race control notes afterwards. So one of the drivers was penalised, and it said, uh, "Driver penalised uh, life imprisonment for a false start." <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, God, they, they've really upped the ante on these, on these penalties now. God, talk about cons- like inconsistency. The kind of consistency we got in yeah. MotoGP. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but it was uh, an absolute uh, domination in the end uh, from uh, Fanati. Let's talk, of course, about John McPhee because uh, it was the British Grand Prix. <sighs> Enjoyed a bit of a miserable weekend. Qualified 15th, found himself last after the first few corners. Was able to fight back with a couple of really good moves uh, to 11th in the end, but then demoted uh, for track limits violations. But just a, another trying weekend for John McPhee, isn't it? Yeah, I think it was trying before we got there. Uh, because in my view, and in a lot of you know, the populist view, would have been that he should have been in the MotoGP ride rather than Adam Norridin. Moto2 ride in rather than Adam Norridin. Adam Norridin got brought in to take Jake Dixon's ride because Jake Dixon took the Morbidelli um, ride over at um, Petronas. So I was disappointed because I think it would have been a good show for him and it would have been a great opportunity for John to show us what he can do on a Moto2 bike at home Grand Prix. And I think that would have been important for him career-wise. So I haven't spoken to John at the weekend, so I, I, I don't know um, what his exact feelings were, but that's that's my feelings. He should have gone to Moto2. They should have let him ride the Moto2 bike. Moto3, he's not in it, in the championship in any way, shape or form. It would have cost them nothing, really. Um, great ride through to up to 10th place at one point from stone last, having got shoved out early on. Um, really, really good ride. He's a tricky one, isn't he? He's been around long enough now, John, but you can't discount him from being a Moto3 winner. Um, fairly soon, he's going to reach the age, 28 it is, where you are not allowed to ride in Moto3 anymore. You know, there's an upper age limit in Moto3. Uh, it's 50 in the other classes. It's 28 in Moto3. So it's 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 going to be a, make a difference. I think he needs – he needed that ride in Moto2. He needed to show them, you know, a Moto2 ride. Having said that, what I've just said, for all I know, Jonathan uh, – uh, he could have knocked it back. He could have actually not wanted to ride the Moto2 bike. I don't know what the politics were in the team. I haven't spoken to anybody in the team this week. So it's one of those situations where maybe John didn't want to ride the Moto2 ride, um, even though we all think he should have, for what it's worth. And, and we should say, we don't know what's happening for Aragon yet. do we? The one thing we do know is that Cal will still be on the monster bike. That's that's He did confirm that on, on Sunday evening at Silverstone. So Cal is staying on for another race because he only signed up for three initially. So this was Silverstone was the last race. So he's going to do another race and that fits in with where Morbidelli was hoping to come back from Mizano. So that kind of fits in there. But we don't know, will Jake get another chance? It looks like, you know, he certainly made clear he would like one, but will he be on that bike again? Will they put someone else? As Keith said, will they decide to give... You might say, you know, if they're thinking of, of Darren Binder or... Jake for next year, maybe they should put Darren on there, but I don't think they will because he's got his best chance. But, you know, you know, that ride is still unclear, just to sort of say, as of Monday, 
you know, who they're going to put on it for the next event. Certainly if Jake knew he wasn't giving anything away, he said, look, it was pretty last minute for Silverson. I think it'll be a, a last minute decision for Aragon as well. Tell you what, Darren Binder's under threat at the moment because Jake Dixon can ride a big bike. We know that straight away. He's, a, he's more of a big bike man than Darren Binder has been. Um, and Darren Binder's rumoured ride to jump from Moto3 straight into MotoGP might be in difficulty. You know, Jake Dixon basically headed John McPhee off from the Moto2 ride when it was in his contract to be riding the Moto2 bike. And Jake Dixon, because they wanted to keep him, um, kept him in that slot. So McPhee ended up staying in Moto3. And it could be Dixon who mires the um, rumoured jump from Moto3 to MotoGP for Darren Dix, uh, for uh, Darren Binder. Um, call him Darren Dixon, if you like, the best of both worlds. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting. You know, Harry brought it up last week that... You know, it's a, it was an audition, wasn't it? Even though on paper there was, it was just just a one-off ride. You know, in front of your home fans, make the most of it. But it never, exactly. it never is a one-off ride. And, and in fairness it. to Jake, you know, we spoke about Aprilia last year. All those Moto Two guys that turned down a bike that has now finished on the podium in MotoGP. You know, Jake took the risk, didn't he? You, you you said yourself, Keith, how everything was stacked against him. You know, no testing, only what I don't know sixty laps before doing a race. You know, so much could have gone wrong. But I think there's no doubt. Jake Dixon is a lot closer to being a full-time MotoGP rider than he was before this weekend. Absolute great statement, Pete. I'm bang on with you on that one. I really believe that. I think that Jake, we know what, John, it's easy to forget, isn't it? Because we, we live in the moment with this bloody, with all mobile racing, with any racing, actually, any sport, perhaps. Um, you know, he was a good superbike rider. He was a very good superbike rider. He rides, he rides a big bike well, and, and we know that. And that's now Darren Binder's problem. He hasn't... Um, he hasn't shown that proof. Um, and I think that, you know, uh, this new team, that is a completely new team. The Patronus team finishes at the end of this year. It's a brand new team next year. Uh, brand new sponsors, da, 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 da. I might have the same personnel, but the split is fairly succinct, isn't it? It's a fairly major split. Um, so their thinking will be, you know, we need we need a guy that's, that's going to do the business. Mm. They're not going to take a risk. What is it with brothers and MotoGP and motorbike <laughs> racing? Uh, what is it? Like, I mean, I, I'm all for, you know, there's a lot, obviously it's in the family, but in MotoGP and motorcycle racing, there's a fair few families involved, aren't there? Oh, I mean, you can go through bloody lists of them. I'm sure that if, <laughs> if you want to have a look at it, you know, you only got to look at British championships. You've got the Irwins, you've got the Dunlops, you've got the, you know, move your way through. It's, um, I love all of that. I think it's, it's, it's died in the wall, Harry. It's, yeah. it's kind of like you, 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 your family, your parents, your, you know, your uncles, your aunts, are all, they're all pretty much in it. They're all part of it. Mm. Well, um, I didn't mention the Laverties there, did I? Yeah. I remember when the, the, I remember the coach of Laverties that turned up at Alton Park once for a British Championship one. There you got all of the Laverty brothers, Mick, the dad, everybody all turned up. You know, it's like, but not say anything bad about a Laverty this week. <laughs> 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 well, uh, we've got the Aspargaro brothers, we've got the Marquez brothers. We, well, it's looking less likely now. Maybe the Binder brothers, but never, you know, never say never. Things change so quickly in MotoGP uh, and in Moto3. The championship lead is still with Pedro Acosta, but that lead is being edged into ever so slightly. Forty-six points now. The gap uh, to Garcia and Fanati uh, now in third with one hundred and thirty-two points. Uh, right, we've got a few more listener questions uh, to chuck at you as well. First of all, from Ben Yates, uh, what's your view on? Uh, well, well, yes. What's your view on Lowe's and Dixon? 
progressing to MotoGP, Keith. Do you see them both in the Premier class soon, or do you see one of them heading to World Superbikes instead? I know we've just covered off, obviously, Dixon, but Lowe's as well. I read that tweet. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I didn't, a- I didn't answer it when I saw that tweet because it's one of them questions that I hate. Because <laughs> if I'm honest, you know, Sam Lowe's, we're now talking north of 30 years old. Um, that always goes against people when you've got that logjam of talent coming up through. Um, you know, you've got, if, if you're looking at slightly older riders that they're, that they're banking on, that's where your Davizioso's come from. Um, so it's a really, really difficult shout for a team. Sam Lowe's, has he done enough to go into MotoGP again? He's certainly talented enough. There's no doubt about that. He's certainly strong enough. Um, will a team take a risk on him? I don't think so. Um, Dixon, another matter of, you know, don't think we've seen the best of Dixon yet. Um, maybe we hadn't seen the best of Sam Lowe's yet. I mean, the Aprilia debacle didn't work at all for him. Roger Burnett, his manager, got him in at Aprilia. A lot of promises were made back then. I remember holding this conversation with Roger Burnett. You remember Roger Burnett, ex-500cc man, um, British champion, TT winner, you know, and a very smart guy, uh, is Sam Lowe's manager. Um, he only manages Sam Lowe's, actually, in the in the GP paddock. Um which again might be a disadvantage if I if I move slightly at a tangent to this because if you're a manager of only one rider you're not in the mix of the massive jigsaw that's going on like Badistella we were talking about earlier Simone Badistella who is is the uh, Vizioso's manager among others um, they understand a broader picture of what's going on in the paddock and where people are fitting in in that jigsaw of, of manufacture of places um, whereas Roger is looking after Sam. And he's the you know he's a, an individual manager for an individual rider, so that may be a slight disadvantage for Sam. No disrespect to Roger, because I know he's very good at what he does. Um, but you know, Aprilia made promises. You know, there were. I know that Roger did a real due diligence job on Aprilia. He went over there. He went and looked at what was going on. He, he, he questioned the right people, and and still it didn't come to what it should have come to for Sam. So Sam was held back that year, and that is a problem. Um, so I, I think Sam's in a more difficult position than, than Dixie when it comes to, to moving into to MotoGP. I think that Jake Dixon is in a better position, particularly now his stock value, as my old mate Neil Hodgson would say, has, has gone up after the ride at Silverstone. Um, okay, the position might not have looked brilliant to those looking in from the outside, but the fact is times, you look at times, you look at the way he went about his job. There are lots of other elements that team management teams look at. And you said it earlier, Harry, you know, in an interview, he's like a MotoGP rider. You know, he's he's got that personality that fits that bill um, more than many many MotoGP riders. If if Dixon manages to make it performance wise, he is going to be a new Barry Sheen. There's you know, forget about Valentino Rossi and Mark Marquez and the rest of them. You know, you've got a, a bit of a Jack the Lad here that seems like it's all easy, isn't it, Geezer? Know what I mean? You know, yeah. uh, and, and and people kind of relate to to that slightly common man side of sense of humor well certainly i do anyway maybe it's because i'm from south of the border i don't know but it's it's a situation where i think he will do british motorcycle sport a whole load of good and of course in that situation dawner are pushing you know they want a british guy that's got personality they need this to carry on in this country you know silverstone have no state aid at all for their their efforts you know silverstone could have gone bankrupt this year. The BRDC, doesn't matter what anybody says, you know, Formula One, 
slight anomaly here. Why are they? Why do they have one hundred and twenty thousand at trackside, and our upper limit is sixty thousand? They talk about car parking or some other bull that um, says that they can't have more people than sixty thousand. They said it was a sellout for the MotoGP, but there was only sixty thousand people on board, sixty-seven, I think it was. Um, whereas, you know, your guys, the Formula One guys. 120,000. Why is that? I mean, what's that all about? We can't rent an extra field to park cars in. What's the, what's the snag there? I, I mean, I've got to ask Stuart Pringle at Silverstone why that is. He will have an absolute eloquent answer to it. Of course he will, because he's smart. Um, Silverstone did a great job, by the way. And Monster, you mentioned Monster earlier on, Harry. Big ups to Monster. Big ups. I mean, Silverstone's the biggest site there is anywhere for a, for a Grand Prix um, by acreage. And they filled it full of great stuff. Monster, really, they were the headline sponsors. Absolutely kicked it out of the park. I mean, so impressive. Um, you know, uh, it's the kind of atmosphere you want at a Grand Prix, particularly if you haven't been for three bloody years. It's, uh, you know, he did a fantastic Silverstone Monster. You know, did a great job racing. Okay, it was a, it wasn't quite as sparkling as we perhaps would have liked, but bloody hell, what a great event! You had to be there. Well. Very jealous we weren't, uh, Keith. But uh, <laughs> I think you uh, you really uh, describe it well. Sherb, who's a regular, I think, has uh, messaged in. And this is on, on the Dovi news as well, coming into the weekend, of course, that he will uh, head towards Patron. Well, what will Patron SSRT be called? Uh, and then the Morbidelli to Yamaha and all the dominoes that are a result of that. Sherb has asked, uh, is Dovi's return going to be on a B-spec Patronus or will it be tricked up a bit? Surely he would want a full va- a full factory ride like a uh, Rossi spec this year. Pete, uh, there are a few, aren't there a few tricky rules around that? So he will have to finish this season on Morbidelli's bike. So yes, for this se- for the right. races he does this season, he will still be on this A-spec bike. But absolutely, it looks like, um, you know, Dovi and his manager, very smart guys, they've said, look, you know, if we're going to ride this bike, yeah, we'll, we'll ride the old bike, you know, to finish the year because that's what the rules say. But it looks certainly 99% that he will get the factory spec bike next year. So yeah, he will effectively have the bike that Rossi's got at the moment. So, so I mean, that's great news for him. He'll be back on the Yamaha for the first time since 2012 when he had a, you know, a great kind of a rebuilding year at Tectoire after leaving Repsol Honda with only one win. He then, you know, did really well on the satellite Yamaha. Satellite Yamahas then were not like satellite Yamahas now. You know, there was much different rules. As, as Keith has said, you know, the racing has been brought a lot closer together than it was back then. But he got lots of podiums, more podiums than any other Tectoire Yamaha rider. Um, and it got him the factory Ducati seat. So that's that's how he sort of... So he's got good memories of the Yamaha. Cal was interesting. He said, you know, Cal's good friends with Dovi. You know, they get on. But he said, look, he's going to have to completely change his philosophy because he's been used to trying to make the most of the power of the Ducati. Whereas with the Yamaha, you've got to make use of the corner speed. So it's going to be a complete switch in that sense of, of how to get the lap time. But I think Dovi, you know, with all of his experience, and, and maybe from Yamaha's side, you know, they, they're losing Rossi with what about a million years of experience on the bike. You know that they, they've lost Vinales, who's he had four and a half years on the bike. You know maybe they think that you know just bringing in somebody who's got experience. He's tested the Aprilia. He's raced the Honda. He's raced the Yamaha. He's raced the Ducati. He's got a lot of knowledge of the bikes, and maybe having him on one of those machines will be good for the whole project. So, so yeah, to, to answer the question, he'll be on the A spec bike this season and the factory spec, I believe, next season. So many things that you brought up there, Pete, that I've got to go and jump on. I mean, all of the stuff that you talk about, the the quality of Davizioso, the class of Davizioso, absolutely agreed and, and written in stone. But all of that stuff's good for a test rider. You know, when he comes back, 
the goalposts have all moved. Yeah, modern way of riding a motorbike. Michelin have changed slightly during the course of the last year. There's been lots of subtle changes. Not least, we've got a whole raft of of new guys that are winning races. You know, there was a time a year ago where you could predict who the two riders were that were going to go through from qualifying one. No more. You know, you you can't predict. There are you know the the rest of the field are all vying for those two places to get into qualifying two. And I think that the, the landscape has changed a little bit. And I think that, that Dovey is going to struggle with that. I mean, he's got to get out of jail free card with the fact that it's a, it's not the top line factory bike. Um, so therefore he can, he can make that transition back into racing, but he's got, to, he's got to get over himself, get over a new bike, get over the slightly different tires, rush into the end of a season, which yeah, he may or may not be, have been preparing for mentally, but it's here now. So he's, he's got to do it. Um, I think it's going to be a very, very interesting end of season. And Davizioso, you know, his age is against him as well. You know, it's going to be, I, I mean, I wish Andrea Davizioso, I think he's a class act and a super rider. And he should have won a world championship, should have won a world title. And he hasn't. Will he be the man for the future? I was going to say, there's a few things that are against him on that one. So we'll wait and see. See if he shows his class. And I think just adding to that, you know, looking at Cal's results, you know, 17th place is, you know, and Cal said, look, it's just moved on. I, You know, Cal's in test rider mode now. And exactly as Keith says, you're stepping in in the middle of the season. I guess from Yamaha's point of view, you know, they've lost Vinales. They're, they're having to reshuffle. All of the rider contracts are up at the end of next year. So, you know, this will bring them. They've got Dobby on board to the end of next year. And then, who, you know, it could be massive changes throughout the grid at the end of next year. MotoGP never fails uh, to enthrall, does it? Week in, week out. I say it every week, but it just doesn't. It's true. Um, there's just enough time uh, to give an update on how we lie in our very own championship standings in terms of predictions. Uh, and I did not fare very well because both of my podium picks got knocked out. They knocked each other out in the first lap, so that's fun. Uh, but I did get Quartararo, so that does give me an extra point. So I'm now on two. Uh, Pete, you did well. You got two extra points because you had uh, you had Rins and you had Quartararo in your team. So that you're now uh, joint leading the way with Keith. Three points each. So I'm last. So out of three, I'm last and you're both leading the way. So I uh, hope you're enjoying that. And we'll get the next pred- a lot of predictions uh, next time out because um, we have a weekend off, but we, but we don't. We'll be back to preview uh, Aragon in Spain, which starts on the 10th of September. Uh, we'll return with you uh, the week before that to preview it all and for lots more MotoGP sh- uh, chat as well, along with two and three. But you can keep up to date with all the very latest, as usual, on crash.net. Any questions, you know the drill by now. Tweet, Facebook, YouTube us, Instagram, whatever. We'll track them down and uh, I'll ask them to the guys on the show uh please do leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts as well and we shall see you uh, right back here next week as ever until then bye bye hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.